Stay hungry, stay foolish. As always, thank you to our partner, Zai. Zai is a global fintech innovating within its area of expertise, building integrated financial services for digital native and non-native businesses. Check them out at hellozai.com. It's great to welcome back author of Built to Innovate, Essential Practices to Wire Innovation into Your Company's DNA. And we have a copy up for grabs for you. Just sign up to the innovationshow.io newsletter to win a copy of this wonderful book. You're joining us for part two. We're joined by Ben. Ben, welcome back. I hope you had a good week. Uh, well, thank you for having me again. I mean, this, is, uh, this was a, a great talk we had last time, so. Absolutely. And I was telling you, I, I finished editing last night, I insist on editing it myself, because I learned so much from the content. So I will do our best not to uh, repeat. But I think repeating is probably a good thing, because we'll bring people back to where we were before. Just for context for audience, what we talked about the last day was the BTI framework, the built to innovate framework. We talked about some of the challenges for leadership for those people trying to sell their ideas within the organization. Today, we're going to talk about examples. So Brent Ben does an amazing job in the book of bringing all the concepts to life, the BTI framework to life, and all the challenges that comes with that. So today, we'll be talking about companies like BASF, we'll be talking about Gore, we'll be talking about Bayer, and we'll be talking about Cordsa. Some great examples then from a wide range of history, but also from a wide range of different industries, particularly, as we said, the last day courts, uh, where you wouldn't expect to see much innovation. So with that, let's get into it. We'll dive into part one of the book by sharing your approach to innovating, and the special characteristics and distinguishing features of the twin engines we talked about before, the execution engine, and the innovating engine. And you begin by sharing the story of the German based multinational and the world's largest chemical company, BASF. And just to give our audience a flavor of the size of this company, in a typical year, BASF invests more than $2 billion in R&D, supports 10,000 employees who are directly involved in product innovation, and generates 1000 or more new products, amazing company, very hidden from the innovation world, but some amazing examples and, and actually such a great exemplar exemplar of what you talk about in this book. So over to you to tell us about this great brilliant company. Well, I like uh, the the examples uh, in BASF because it is it is really at the core what the book is about is is really creating, uh, as I refer to it, uh, an innovating engine that supplements and complements um, your R and D. I mean, we're talking about BASF. Uh, I mean, uh, a powerhouse in in R and D, uh, developing new new chemicals, new products out of the R and D department, and yet. They understood that they need to compete in a in a very very uh, tough uh, environment, being squeezed on, uh, on 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 most of their products. They had to leverage the capability of everyone. So they really kind of systematically started by building um, an infrastructure. So with the support of the board, they created uh, an internal initiative called Perspective. So in the beginning. It started in the in the marketing area, and then it was so successful. And in the marketing area, it was there supposed simply to uh, help train people in customer orientation. 
And it became such a success that first they started to introduce new uh, initiatives around innovation and actually expand it beyond marketing to englobe all the departments uh, within the company. So if I want to go into the detail, um, what they were training people into is, is understanding the customer and they would, uh, they would put um, so the, the perspective to, to, to understand this is uh, an internal unit, totally staffed. And I remember interviewing some people who, who were uh, part of perspective. These were kind of very young, uh, uh, successful uh, uh, executives who, who understood that this was a fast track to, to get to, to, to succeed in the company. So people would stay within the perspective initiative for a few years. They would uh, help develop new tools. So this is what Perspective was doing, developing new tools, new processes, new methodologies around customer, uh, customer orientation and around innovation. And then they would be sent to the local operations to help uh, jumpstart innovation and customer orientation. And then very often, uh, this was a pass, a quick pass to success because the local businesses would, uh, would 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 bring these people back in as 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 managers running the business. So this was really uh, an initiative with very uh, bright and brilliant people, and so they started with this initiative tra- trying to understand uh, what type of customers they have. So they they looked at the. The, the whole range of their customers. And you can imagine BSF having hundreds of different customers and they created a classification, if you will, a classification of, uh, of all of their customers into six categories, which could go from the, the most kind of basic, um, let's say commodity type kind of products that you, now you can actually, uh, uh, have a, a general contract for that product, and then uh, the customer would just kind of uh, uh, order on on a, on an electronic market. So this is really a commodity kind of market type of uh, so a relationship with the customer, all the way to very very uh, let's say almost strategic alliances, partnerships they would have with the customer where they their engineers would get involved together in in the design and 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 even in research so they would have six buckets in which they could put most of their uh products and then it totally reorganized the customer service organization from an organization which was by products into an organization by relationships by type of relationships they call it customer interaction model and what this would do is that for each of these interaction models, they would have processes and structures to, uh, to manage the relationship. So this was a very powerful way to change the, the culture in the organization from product focused to relationship focused. And this is where then they started to introduce uh, re- research and innovation into the equation. So they had, uh, let me highlight a couple of other uh, uh, processes and then I'll, 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 I'll give you an example of what, what, what was the result of all this. So they had another uh, process which was developed and then 
you know, propagated, kind of cascaded into organization by this group called Perspective was this uh, system called process called Pathfinder. So they would, uh, for each business unit division, they would, uh, business unit, they would have cross uh, functional teams uh, work uh, together to better understand their customers. So, and then they would try to understand what is the, the business of the customer, uh, what, what are the trends affecting uh, the, the customer, their competitors, their value chain, what are their key processes? And then they would engage with this uh, amplified knowledge of the customer, systematic knowledge where these people would be trained. It's almost like you know, consultants in a, in a consulting firm, they would learn about strategy um, uh, about their customer. And then with this uh, heightened understanding of the customer, they would engage with the customer in these new types of relationships where they would work together to actually find out how they can create more value for the customer. So, so what I'm trying to describe here is that BSF started by creating a structure, something that was structural, a group of people who had specific tasks and responsibilities. And these people developed uh, tools, processes, and then they trained people across the organization. Then what they did is that they had these processes that were embedded at the business unit level. And this over time created what I would kind of call a culture. It changed the relationship and the way that people would think about how to work with a customer. And there are two Two, two spaces that they created in, in a sense that are very important to innovating. They closed the gap between the innovators in the company and the people who know about the customer. So specifically, they closed the gap between the scientists, the engineers, and the, the R&D people, and the marketing and salespeople. As these people were going through the training through perspective, they developed an understanding of each other. They developed common tools to work together. Uh, the second space, the second space that they created is that they closed the gap between, so the first gap I was talking about is the internal gap, okay? And people very often underestimate the importance of this gap when you're trying to innovate, the gap between your internal R&D, let's say, and your marketing and sales. That's very important. And, and, and many organizations are siloed and these people don't talk to each other. I've seen cases where people hate each other. <laughs> they can't work together. So you have to close that gap and that stimulates innovation. The second one is between you as an organization and your customer. And they were able to close the gap, especially for those, you remember I said there were six uh, interaction models, six types of relationships. So for the high-end relationships where they do co-design, uh, co-development, they call it the co-creation model. So you co-create innovation with your with your customers. So let me give you uh, maybe one or one or two quick examples. So um, if I remember, the first example is about uh, the, a sole, um, um, a product, a material developed for sole for um, uh, running shoes. For Adidas, so, yeah, that's right. Yeah, for Adidas. So yeah. this is one of those examples you often hear about where you have the serendipity come in. 
So I think it started with a chemist at BSF called, I think, uh, Prisok. I think his name was Frank Prisok. And he was um, um, working with a product that, um, that, of course, is very familiar to BSF. I think it's called uh, 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 polyethylene, uh, thermal polyethylene. And he had noticed, again, serendipitously, that when this, this product, which is used, by the way, for, for electric cables, so this is something that is very, very uh, familiar for BSF uh, engineers, that if you put it under certain pressure and heat, it would kind of transform into a foam that would have little, uh, I think, bubbles, a little bit like if you're popping popcorn in a, in a microwave. Now, of course, as an engineer, uh, I mean, he didn't know what, what was the use for this. He, I mean, he had no idea. This is not what uh, he was working on. But, and this is, this is where culture, you can see that culture changes. In the old days, he would have kind of, you know, uh, um, you know let it go and, and, and keep doing his work. But as a result of the training I was talking about, of the new tools and this this space that this gap that was closed between the engineers, the R&D people and the marketing, he, he didn't do that. You know, when we talk about norms, the, it's, what, what is a good definition? The things you do when nobody's watching, right? Nobody was watching him, but Frank Prisok, he created small short videos of this, um, this, kind of uh, invention or you know uh, what he had observed and he didn't know what it were, what it meant but he made videos and he started to send them around the company to the people in in marketing and sales and of course uh, at some point one one person i think his name was uh, Martin Vallo he came across these videos and he immediately saw the link between uh, this this uh, this new form, which nobody knew what to do with uh, at BSF, and he linked it with uh, the possibility to maybe develop something for 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 soles for running shoes. Okay, and then and then as they say, the rest is history. Uh, I think the, the the critical thing was this connection, the, the the chemist who stumbled onto something he didn't understand. And he made short videos, sent them around. Somebody in the marketing and sales department who also kind of knew about this new culture approached uh, Adidas. In fact, approached many, many uh, running shoe uh, manufacturers and Adidas picked on it and they developed a new sole uh, that had actually, this is important. I mean, uh, that, that, that's where the, the rubber hits the road, as they say. The, the, the sole had a very special uh, um, functionality. It had a, I mean, it was resistant. It was, uh, it was, uh, it was, it was uh, uh, temperature resistant and all that. But more importantly, it had a rebound effect, which was something that uh, runners really, really uh, were looking for. And this is the way that Adidas, in uh, collaboration with, um, with BSF together, and of course, this is the co-creation process. I mean, the ping pong going back and forth, working together, they developed this uh, sole that uh, was launched as a product called Boost. Um, and um, 
as a matter of fact, I forget if it was a year after or, or two, uh, the world uh, world record for marathon uh, was uh, was broken uh, using uh, the boost sole. So, I mean, this is this is this is this is the story. But I think the the critical thing here to understand is how, through perspective, BSF, so a structure processes, was able to change the norms and change the culture. I just wanted to map some of these concepts back to what we talked about the last day. There was two major concepts you talked about. One was giving the organization permission to innovate, to permission to come up with ideas. And I really got the impression of that through this perspectives model and the Pathfinder model in BASF. But also, what you talked about the last day, the power of thank you. So thank you for bringing your ideas. And that in turn, changes the mindset and the culture, like you said, where the scientist comes along this solution, but then puts it out looking for a problem. And you know, many times, if you think about the tragedy of that, how many times in organizations, people have found a solution for which they cannot find a problem. And this is where that interface, the people who are in touch with clients are constantly seeing problems. And when they start to then connect with people, in the organization, the problems and the solutions meet, and then you have a new product or service. But I wanted to bring it to one thing because you say of the of the new product that was created, you say BASF shifted to a more outside in approach. And rather than starting their experimentation with new molecules, they hope will have some practical value. They start with the expressed needs of the customers and then collaborate with those customers at every step of the process to ensure that every experiment, test and redesign is focused on producing a product with powerful market appeal. And that was the story of Boost. But I wanted to emphasize something earlier that you you mentioned, because I've seen this, and I'm sure you've experienced it in your vast experience in the past that having shown themselves to be world class experts in their fields in BASF, company managers and employees begin began to doubt that anyone outside the organizational walls had much to teach them. And we see this quite a lot with outside consultants. When the industry you work in is intensely competitive, the desire to safeguard your valuable intellectual property can easily lead to an emphasis on secrecy which only increases the reluctance to engage in freewheeling discussions and explorations with outsiders like consultants, even when those outsiders are important company stakeholders. I thought that was a key point before you give the second Basotech example. And I'd love your opinion on that one. I think I think this was this was very important. I think uh, this this is where the, the the I suppose the turning point was was for BSF when when they realized that facing the competition uh, that they had, it was not sufficient to just develop uh, internally think that they would develop the right molecules and, and, and hope that they would hit the market. They understood that it was really a question of listening to the customer and then, and, and then developing the solutions that are uh, responding to the, to, 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 the, uh, to the customer's problem. And, and I think uh, what is also important is that you want you give permission, of course, uh, uh, and everybody uh, uh, understands it. And I think the message was very clear. But I think you have to also give the the the, the means, the processes, build something concrete 
that 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 um, translate this permission into into a change of behavior and into new ideas. So this is what I was trying to explain with the the, the perspective project. And 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 by the way, I can I can uh, highlight similar initiatives in other companies. So this is a, a theme that I saw across many companies that when they are uh, trying to create their innovation engine, one very important thing is to create an entity legitimized uh, by the board, by the senior executives, which is responsible very often in training coaches, in developing new processes related to innovation and to uh, cascade them, spread them through the organization. Coach, follow follow, follow the middle managers, help the middle managers to understand and, and get their teams to understand these teams. And this is what, what Perspective did. So I think that this uh, outside-in perspective uh, has 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 feet has meat because of this uh, training that people would get, uh, and the training I insist is that it was given to everybody, and then and then this is how people in marketing would uh, have a, a, a better respect for people in R and D and HR and everybody else, and that's why people like Frank Prisock and Martin Vallow would would have these kind of behaviors. Um, I think this is. This is a, a very complex point because when you say you want to give innovate, uh, permission to people to innovate, but 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 concretely, people have to change the way they behave, and you change the behavior of people through structure, structural uh, you know um, uh, forms, uh, through processes, through you know cultural uh, events, but but. This was I was what I was trying to explain with uh, with the perspective. By the way, uh, I will I will say one more thing about perspective. Uh, what is interesting is that perspective has to, uh, became became known by everybody within BSF. Be, within BSF, everybody knew what perspective was about. Uh, uh, it, People were familiar with uh, a toolkit that uh, Perspective had developed and uh, trained people and uh, uh, cascaded inside the company called uh, 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 Key Perspective Concept, KPCs. Uh, and in 2017, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, Perspective as a formal organization was stopped. It was stopped because it had done its job. It had created the new norms. It had created the new behavior to the point that now the, the key uh, perspective concepts are taught to any new hire. Any new professional hire in, in BSF, he's trained in these key perspective concepts that were developed through the perspective entity. And now, of course, there are still some coaches if uh, teams or individuals need support for uh, an innovation project, there's now a, a consulting unit, if you will. Perspective became some sort of a consulting unit uh, within BSF that does other things uh, than simply innovation. But, but you can see that um, uh, once the innovation engine has been created, you've changed the behavior of people, then you just have to find a form to maintain maintain the uh, the, the habit, if you will. So just to give you the, 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 the other example, which is, again, this time 
uh, starting with a uh, uh, marketing. It was a, I think it was a. So this is a product called Basotech. It's a it's a foam, uh, which is used in the uh, I think mostly in the construction business uh, because it has very good isolation properties, especially sound and thermal uh, uh, properties. And it is again one of those uh, accidents. Uh, I was told that um, a salesperson once was uh, making a presentation to a happens to be a Japanese construction company. <laughs> I, I don't know the name of the construction company, but uh, and 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 uh, apparently somebody spilled some coffee on the table, uh, and there were of course construction blueprints on the table, and it kind of created a little bit of a panic and, 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 and one of the people just grabbed what they could, which was like a, a, a flob, a flob, you say a flob, a piece of, uh, of Basotech foam that was lying on the, on the table and, and wiped the coffee away. And then a salesperson noticed that uh, actually not only the coffee was, uh, was taken away, but actually the, uh, the ink on the, on the blueprints had disappeared. <laughs> Um, and again, he, um, he thought this was a very interesting phenomena, didn't know what to do with it. So again, in the old culture, in the old BSF, the, uh, uh, in, uh, what, what do you say inside out culture, he would have just, you know, continued uh, his life as, as before, but in the new culture with the new norms, with this new space bringing uh, the customer and the BSF together, bringing the uh, uh, salespeople and the RD people, he informed, he looked around the company to see if somebody could, uh, could be interested in this uh, new property of Basotech that people had noticed about. And, 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 then, and then, as I said before, it became history because somebody in RD kind of realized that this is a property they could uh, they could maybe use and they actually found that um, uh, I think it's PNG was very interested in the, that kind of property and uh, and I actually was very curious about this product myself it it, it became magic uh, as it's called magic cleaner it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a very profitable division within PNG so I mean I'm going fast because in between there was lots of co-creation between BASF and PNG to develop this new product called Magic Cleaner, and there are different different forms of it. But uh, I've um, I was asking my wife about it, and I discovered that we we, we do have that product in the kitchen. So it is a it is it is it is a magic cleaner basically. But but this is a, a very good example again of how you change norms. You give permission. This is very important. Without giving permission to innovate, people won't 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 do, won't do it. Won't feel the motivation to do it. But then you have to create a structure. You have to train people. You have to, to create processes for this to happen. And this is what I mean by creating an innovating engine. This is something just like the execution engine. This is something that has a structure, which means that uh, some people have some. Some, some tasks and some responsibilities. You have some processes that are embedded. So like I said, you know, now the hiring process has changed at BSF as a result of this. Everybody is trained in these new innovation tools and it creates 
uh, it has its own unique culture where, you know, people without being watched, they just make a video and send it to everybody. Or the marketing person who sees something strange just talks to the, the engineers about it. I think this is this is where the you can see that your uh, uh, engine is 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 humming now. It's a fantastic story, and I wanted to just um, highlight a couple of things. If you map this to any kind of upgrade in consciousness, so what I mean there is one of the things I talk about in my own book is that you can't change business models until you change mental models. So you can't change what people do until you change how they think and that really came to life for me with the BASF story because of those people you mentioned, they were trained in new mental models. So if you think of them as mental buckets in which to put these phenomena when they arise, because otherwise, they just won't see them because they're so busy executing that they won't see opportunity. And this brings me then to business models, because BASF not only innovated with products, but also with business models. And you said, they have become one of the world's masters of business model innovation, finding ways to rethink and redesign the entire array of relationships, processes, and systems that produce economic value for BASF, its customers and all its stakeholders. You go on to say, and I'd love you to expand on this, it is estimated that it takes an average of eight to 10 years to change a long established business model. The way BASF business model for providing paints and other coating materials to auto manufacturers has evolved over the years, they've totally changed the business as well as the products they they produce, but also the business models through which they sell those. It's a really important aspect of all this that I'd love you to expand upon. Yes, uh, if you if you allow me, I just want to kind of rebound on what you said about mental models. I think this is very important, and 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 this is core to the the, the story of BSF. And actually, we're talking about BSF, but it 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 is replicated in many of the other examples in the book. But 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 here you start by creating uh, this 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 new consciousness, if you will. Uh, already, when you have the board supporting uh, the initiative, when you, when, 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 when people know that uh, we we're, we're shifting from uh, inside out to outside in, uh, that is already starting to prompt the the new mental models. But what reinforces that is the fact that you have people have tools, and people have a language to talk about these new mental models. And this is what I think is the power of, uh, of uh, perspective and uh, the frameworks and the concept and, and the actual tools like the, the SIM model, the Pathfinder. Uh, they, they use some tools that they uh, gleaned from, from innovation kind of methodologies like Blue Ocean Strategy and others. But I think without the tools, you cannot actually translate it into a concrete action as well. So I think it's a, it starts with mental models and then mindsets, and then people need the vehicle. So what is really interesting about the, 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 the business model uh, innovation at BSF, it is, it is a, a, a natural extension of all the work they did within perspective on what they call the SIM model, the, the, the customer interaction model, which is these six types of relationships, basically. And, and I said the, 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 the most basic one is, 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 is electronic markets. 
uh, arm's length type of relationships, all the way to the, the, the models like, uh, let's say, four, five, and six, which are much more intricate relationships, uh, closer relationships where they develop specialized product for their customers, uh, or they develop products together all the way to the kind of relationship they have, for instance, with, uh, with we were talking about Adidas, where they could do co-creation together. So the, the, the way the business model uh, innovated was, was a very natural uh, result of this partnership, this uh, close relationship they were developing, for instance, with the automakers. So it, it started like for many, many, many in this industry with arms legs relationships where the automakers would would specify what kind of paints or coating they needed. And then and then and then all the the, the suppliers would try to comply and, and compete basically on price. But thanks to this closer space where they close the gap between them and some of the automakers, in particular the top tier ones like Mercedes-Benz, they realized that uh, no, 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 number one, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the price, the price they we're not making much profit out of it as BSF. And on the other hand, the automakers didn't, um, first, they didn't really know much about coating and, uh, and, and, and about paints to the point where they could make very uh, um, sophisticated decisions about what they need for their own products. And also in terms of applying those paints in their plants, they, they're not specialists of coding. They don't know anything about it. They don't know much about coding. So clearly there was an opportunity to work together uh, to, 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 as a win-win, if you will. So this is how BSF started to work with uh, Mercedes-Benz in particular to, uh, for instance, um, 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 send people, consultants on the plants of Mercedes-Benz to uh, advise and consult with the, 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 the factory workers as they were applying the coating and the paint to the vehicles. So that was the first step. Um, and they would, they would also send some of their chemists to help the, the automakers design teams when they were designing new, pro, new, new cars they were, they were and, and, and discussing what kind of coating and what kind of paints would be suitable for their products. They would have chemists from BSF join them there. So you can see that uh, uh, the relationship became closer and then, and then it, it kept evolving to the point where uh, now you, you have uh, some uh, BSF uh, teams directly on the plants, in the plants of, of uh, Mercedes-Benz and some other automakers, taking full responsibility for the finishing of, uh, of the cars. Uh, so you can see that they went from a completely arm's length type of relationships to a new business model where BSF is taking uh, full responsibility of one of the key processes critical to you know, delivering a, a car to a customer. Uh, so this is this is this is one interesting way where they were able to uh, uh, do what we call business model innovation in, in a very let's say um, progressive way. Uh, uh, 
it is not it is not necessarily a disruption it is an evolution where by working closer again this is the same outside in uh, mindset as you were saying and it is a result of that mindset that led them to actually look for opportunities to work closer with with their customers in a win-win situation where the customer the automaker gets better better paints and better um, better coating for their vehicles and BSF is actually making better margins on their paints than if they were just sell, selling the commodity product so i think that's 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 a very interesting lesson in business model innovation which we don't hear about which is this evolutionary uh, movement uh, towards a new new type of relationship but but they didn't stop there um and, and i remember talking to uwe hardvik which was the 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 the, the, the person who took um, uh the, the head of perspective after uh, andres jaffer who started it uh, a long time ago uh and what he did is that he worked with um business analysts at the university of singalen um where they basically did a full blown analysis uh of bsf processes and tried to codify and map theoretically all the theoretical business models that were possible for a company like bsf so they did a, they did a, some sort of a top down kind of a deductive kind of a, a, a analysis of from a totally theoretical point of view mathematical point of view what are all the business models possible for bsf and they came up with um, actually 45 45 business models and then what they did is basically with armed with this 45 they they had little kind of uh, printed cards to represent each of these business models uh they audited the whole business and this is still ongoing they go to all the business units uh around the world and try to audit which business models they are actually implementing against this 45 theoretical business models and they were quite surprised uh positively surprised that they already uh have independently implemented 30 out of 45 so as they go business unit by business unit they check if which business model are being used and whether this is the appropriate business model given the 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 market and the customer and if uh, it is not satisfactory then they can think about which uh, which 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 other one to implement but for me this is uh, again uh, uh, it of course it was uh, on purpose that I introduced this this uh, examples to show that innovating as i say is about innovating in everything you do uh it, it can be indeed uh, innovating in your in your products have a better uh, have a better um, molecule have a better paint but it can be also uh, better services uh as they do for uh, the automakers but it can be also innovation in your internal functions so they they completely for me there's a huge uh, organizational uh, innovation within BASF when they implemented this new customer organization which was focused on uh, relationships instead of products i mean people don't realize but from an organizational point of view it's a huge endeavor to retrain 
retool everybody, uh, create new roles, new responsibilities. For me, that's innovation. That's organizational innovation. And then they went all the way to innovate relationships. So they innovated their relationship with their customers. And then they went all the way to innovating the business model. So for me, that's that's what innovating is about, is innovating in everything you do. There's so much in that, in that um, e- even if you take, for example, getting close to your customer, you mentioned there, for example, working with Mercedes in the factory, it creates a camaraderie there that is almost like a really good customer service aspect where you create a bond with the customer, the customer they have a switching cost. It's not only just about cost anymore, it's about relationships. And it's very difficult to break all that. I thought that about the value of that of that outside in relationship, that was one thing. The second was, I, I often think about this, Ben, as the the innovation Peter principle, you know, the Peter principle where you get hired to your level of incompetence. So why did I hired Ben as manager? Why is he doing such a crappy job as manager? And you kind of go, well, have you given him any coaching on how to be a manager? Because that's a very different aspect. That's a very different skill than his level of expertise that got him to that position. And I think the same with innovation is like, you can't expect somebody because of their position in a hierarchy to suddenly become innovative, because they lack the mental models to even think that way. So it all comes down to what you said, there was a huge organisational investment in the entire ecosystem to create the culture. It wasn't just a change in behaviours or mindsets, it was actually massive investment. And the dividends are there, the payback is massive. But of, of all that, I say, one of the things that people were given were the gift of time to to apply to these new mindsets and to spot opportunities, where they were for a moment, they had their eyes off the execution prize, and they were going into innovating mode. And one of the great exemplars you touched on this earlier on is Gore. And I'm going to set you up here for Gore as our next example. You said one of the practices pioneered under Bill Gore's leadership was that of encouraging all the employees associates, as they were and still are called, to spend 10% of their time dabbling in projects that appealed to them. Over time, Gore's dabble time system produced some of the biggest business successes enjoyed by the enterprise. The term that Gore prefers is enterprise, not business. Some of the most famous innovative breakthroughs in Gore's illustrious history had their origins in dabble time projects launched by individual associates. I thought that would be a good way to set you up for both the the luxury of time with innovation, but also the deliberate impact of giving people permission to spend time on innovating. It is essential. I think uh, when we talk about giving permission, in fact, in fact, uh, uh, one one way to speak about it is is, uh, and I use this quote very often, even for myself. I um, as I spent a day once uh, walking in the forest of Fontainebleau with the, one of the board members of uh, Allianz. His name is Jan Karendi, and we were talking about uh, innovation. And um, along along the way, he said something uh, like, "People." To, to innovate, they need three things, he said. They need to feel that they are able, that they need to feel capable, and they need to feel motivated. 
And what he meant by able, he meant uh, uh, allowed to. So this is what I called give permission. But if you just give permission, uh, that's nice and dandy, but, 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 but you need the second one, which is basically that they need to feel capable. And to be capable, they need to have time. You can just can't tell them, yeah, you're you're allowed to 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 innovate, but uh, and this is something I see very often um, when I do um, work with companies, training or coaching or consulting for companies. Um, there's this this special project where people are working with me, and um, at some point the team has to um, interview customers or visit non-customers, do some so, some work. And inevitably, at some point, uh, I get some of the participants who uh, email me or call me uh, that they, they, they haven't been able to do, you know, some of the, the, the homework, if you will, they consider it as homework. And when we, when we ask what went on is basically they had their boss call them and say, you know, you know, uh, what are you doing? You, 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 you should deliver, you should execute. So, so, so if you don't, you can give permission to people, but if you don't give them the time, uh, they don't, it's even worse than that. Uh, it's not only that you lost the opportunity that people could, 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 could come up with a good idea, is that people become cynical. Uh, when you when you encourage them to innovate and all that, they say, "But you know, you you, you don't put your word where you, uh, what do you, what do you say in English? <laughs> you don't put your words where your mouth is, or well, yeah, walk the talk. Oh, you don't walk the talk. I mean, there's yeah. an expression I think in, in in American English also about that. But 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 this is very important. I mean, people if they don't have the, the, the time, they cannot do it. So capable means have the time." Capable means have the training. I mean, you can give them the time and you can give them the, the permission, but if they don't know, that's the, the, the second comp complaint I get from people is that they say, you know, I, I don't know where to start. I don't know how to do it. I'm not a creative type. I don't, I, I don't know how to do this. Um, uh, so they need to have uh, uh, time. They need to have uh, training. They need to have resources. I mean, of course, time is the first one. Uh, and then, and then we can talk later about uh, the motivation. We talked already about it with the thank you and the questions, but uh, but but it is very important uh, that people uh, feel that they have uh, this time. And again, we know quite a number of stories uh, à la Gore where you have uh, ten percent uh, double time, or I think three um, uh, M had. Uh, also 10%, other companies have 15%. I think that's one thing, to give time to people. But there's another also uh, way to do it is to, is to create the time for them. Uh, 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 and this is what I mean by the, the creating a habit, is to make sure that people are involved on a regular basis. And this is mostly the job of middle managers to make sure that their key people are involved in some sort of innovating activity on a regular basis. This is more a question of training the muscle than necessarily getting great ideas every time. But the, 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 the task can be very simple. Uh, can be, uh, for instance, if there's a, a project team going on somewhere at corporate level, 
uh, one of your staff could be a representative of, of a function or department uh, in a cross-functional cross team. I mean, we talk about diversity. So just being, being one element of that diversity is part of an in innovating uh, activity. I, I, I think what is really core is what you said earlier. It is about the mindset. When I'm talking, when we talk about time, it's not time, physical time, is time, time as a mindset. So I, I tell, I tell sales, I mean, I've interviewed some of the, you know, top salespeople in some companies. I mean, they are able to spend 10 minutes in, in, a, in a sales call in an innovating mode. It's, it's as simple as switching your mindset, your mental model, when you're engaging with a customer, instead of being in what I always call the tell mode or sell mode, just switch your mind and say, for 10 minutes, I'm going to try to listen to this person with empathy, try to understand what are they struggling with, what is their life like. For me, that's already innovating time. Um, uh, so, and then, of course, the middle managers can create uh, this uh, this time, and it can be very simple. Just spending um, uh, time with a customer, as I said, in 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 a, in a, in a, with empathy, or or, or non-customer. How many times do people go and uh, explore, or examine, or uh, I don't know if I can. Maybe I can tell you to, just to show you how simple it can be. I can tell you the example of uh, uh, of Starwood. Uh, this is the, the, the global hospitality uh, uh, company. Uh, so Starwood once had um, an event in, in Paris uh, and they had 700 attendees at this event. And uh, so being in Paris, uh, uh, INSEAD got involved to just talk a little bit about innovation. So we, we gave the, the people a, a few kind of simple tools. And then what we did, we split the 700 people, attendees, in 64 teams. And then we gave them uh, book notes, notebooks, and um, uh, cameras, and sent them roaming in the streets of uh, Paris to just roam around and uh, look for uh, experiences, uh, look for, you know, trying to better understand uh, their customer. And three hours later, they came back and we started to kind of uh, collect uh, what they had, uh, you know, what kind of insights and stories they had uh, identified. Collectively, they came up with 17, 17 1,700 ideas, new ideas. I mean, most, of course, most of those ideas were just like small improvements on uh, existing processes or products, but a few, a few actually uh, were important enough that they became global projects, and some of them ended up in. Uh, uh, effective products, uh, like I think some new product called Fantastic, which is um, an approach to uh, developing products for, for families uh, focused on the needs of the, of, of the kids, not the parents. 
But this is this is this is just a, a, to give you an example of what kind of activity it can be. Uh, when we took the feedback from the people, I mean, these are these are seven hundred uh, frontline managers in hotels. These are not uh, the, the new product development people, and uh, these were not innovation experts, and yet they came up with seventeen hundred new ideas, and. Uh, I mean, it will stay with me. There was one feedback where somebody said, "You know, I, I didn't think uh, I was a creative type, but 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 now I think I can do it." So this is the kind of thing I'm talking about: is to create time. I mean, it can be formalized as devil time, or it can be regular uh, uh, activities that people have to do as part. See, this is the thing: is that it has to become part of your job. It is not because you have a special privilege or you you know it, no it's part of your job and and it, of course now the other issue is that once you internalize the thinking the mindset once you internalize some of the tools very simple tools we're talking about then you don't you don't need to do to separate the time because. You understand what I'm saying? You can do it almost uh, uh, at the same time, <laughs> but but of course, to start the engine, you need to formalize the time. Send people to training, give them regular space and time. Now you have lots of companies that create uh, hackathons, uh, create challenges. Um, they have like special rooms, like labs or garage, where they take people from across the company and put them in this space, you know, time and, and, and physical space where they are given permission to, to innovate. They are given tools. So this is what we're talking about. And, uh, and I'm very much encouraged, you know, listening to, to, to many companies. Uh, of course, some of them are very proactive about creating this, this space, formalizing it, you know, a little bit like Gore. Uh, they even go beyond and create space where they can bring their customers to work with their people. Um, they have this new uh, research center where they 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 they, they call their, their their customers to come, and they have this uh, special AI application where their people can talk with the customers and 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 try to understand the problem and use the AI application to find out whether Gore has a product that matches the need. So these are the kind of spaces and times that you need to create for people uh, to feel that they are actually given, given permission. So we said they need to feel able, have permission. They need to feel capable, have the time and the space and the tools and the training uh, and the support, by the way, when I say support, I mean political support. Uh, this is something that people uh, underestimate. Uh, they need to have the political support when they're going on a project. And then the third one is really about motivating people, making sure that people feel that they they want to contribute their ideas. And, and one way is to start by saying thank you. Yeah, I love I love it, Ben. And I wanted to get to the the gore process of sifting ideas or triaging the ideas real win worth but before that i just wanted to highlight something that i found you you alluded to this was it's nearly easier to bake in these processes like 10 percent dabble time into a new organization than it is to put into an organization where it didn't exist before because as peter drucker said famously 
you can't do something new without stopping doing something old. And that's the difficulty because you get a lot of times organizations I work with on mindset and mental models. What often happens is you can and you can see it particularly in a in a zoom environment, that it's a struggle for people to be present. And I mean, mentally present, no matter how good the training is, it's actually I have such a to do list. And I need this thing like a hole in the head. Because yes, the organization says we need to be more innovative. But at the same time, the workload keeps getting bigger and bigger. And and we get this kind of cynicism as well in resilience training, people say, for example, oh, the organization is just trying to get us to be more resilient, so we can handle a higher workload. And it, it, it's really difficult there, because a leader backed by a, a, a board needs to stand up and say, look, enough is enough, we need to lighten the load on people in order to create a, literally time capacity and mental capacity for them to be able to invest in thinking, like you know, how many people how few people actually can sit through and read a book. I know this, I, I know from talking to so many people, they have great intentions, a bunch of books sitting on a bedside dresser, never read something like 80 or 90% of business books are never read. And then you have these uh, tools that are useful to an extent, which are summary tools, summarizing books. But the problem with that is, you only get to a superficial level of understanding, and you never actually get into building your own mental model. And it's so difficult. Yes, yes, yes. I think th this is, uh, I, I, I call this and I, I insist, for instance, for my, my, my MBA students, for instance, when, uh, when, we, when we work on, on projects is to, uh, I tell them to spend some thinking time. Uh, they, they, they struggle with uh, writing a paper and I say, don't, 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 don't do any, any, any reading anything. Just go in the forest because we have a beautiful forest in, in around Fontainebleau on our campus. I tell them, just take some time, go walk in the forest and spend some thinking time. And I think this is what I think you, you're referring to. People don't, 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 don't take the time to step out. But by the way, I'm, 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 Kind of uh, listening to, to to both of us, and I realize that we are touching on the three processes. All all the things I've been talking about, and the, creating the time, giving permission, is really about the creation process. But I think that um, uh, uh, if if these ideas emerge uh, and are not channeled, are not winnowed, selected, and moved through a process to be tested to be maybe prototyped. I mean, they, they're not going to become an idea that will go into the execution engine. So this is this is the role of the very often of the middle managers and the integration process. So this is the, the, the somewhat stage gates process that Gore calls, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, real win worth. Uh, other, other companies uh, uh, do the same. Uh, and uh, I mean, I, I all these processes by which the ideas that are created, once you give permission, the time and the space, people are going to generate ideas. So that's what I call the raw material of, of innovation. But what do you do with it? So all of these ideas alone, uh, um, so, some, some are brilliant and, and can, can transform into a new process or a new product, but very often they need to go through some sort of um, elaboration process, testing process, selection process. 
And you, you need these different stages. Uh, and most of the time, most of the companies I've seen, it's, it's some form of a stage gate process, basically, where you start with a lot of ideas, you put them through some sort of a, a set of criteria uh, which leads to a smaller number, which can now be combined with other ideas and then move on until a few are left uh, uh, to, 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 to go through uh, some pilot testing or prototyping before they are uh, uh, allocated some, some major funding for you know, to transform them in a potential, uh, uh, you know, result or outcome. Uh, I, I can mention uh, an interesting story about uh, Corsa. The uh, I, I, I forget if we talked about Corsa in in. Well, in we the, did, but go first. Okay, so so I mean, but but uh, people will remember that Corsa is this uh, Turkish company uh, which makes. Uh, 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 textile, I mean, not textile, fabric for to reinforce tires, uh, uh, you know, commodity product for the tire, for the tire company, for the tire business. And, and Jank uh, uh, Alper, when he created his uh, uh, innovating engine, he used a similar stage gate process. But what he had instituted in, 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 in the beginning is a, um, he called it positive discrimination. Uh, he would he would alleviate the uh, the traditional uh, profit uh, pressure on new ideas for the first five years, uh, for them to kind of find their market and fine tune their operational model before they start to actually uh, start to make profits. So you 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 have different uh, different models uh, where people start to democratize innovation but then have a discipline. This is the other thing is that very often I hear people say that, you know, we are innovating, so we don't have any, uh, you remember we talked about how the senior leaders can help with the, uh, with the creation process, but you need, you need standards, you need criteria, you need uh, targets. And this is embodied in this stage gate uh, processes, uh, as Gore say, you know, it could be a brilliant idea, but if it's not worth it, if it's not going to make money for the company, m maybe we should not uh, support it. And and then, I think there was a, a um, important point in in what you said, which is the role of senior leaders uh, in uh, making sure that they put innovation at the center of the strategy, and they are the ones. When, when we say they have to give permission, that's exactly what you were saying there, is that they have to tell people, you have to do innovation, but you have to let go of something. Uh, what are we going to stop doing? Uh, as you said, you can't just ask people uh, to spend more time. Even, even if I would you know, argue that at some point people uh, uh, if if they internalize the tools and the mindset, they are able to innovate uh, almost um, uh, on a natural basis, but they can't do that in the beginning. You need to actually create um, uh, a protected, you know, that's why I call the innovating engine a protected, fully legitimized space uh, that tells people, okay, when you, when, you, when you are in innovating, you are fully legitimate. Uh, you don't have to feel... Uh, that you have to ask for permission or feel guilty because you are given permission. So I think it's uh, th that's the role of uh, the, the senior leaders to to, to create the the, the frame. Um, and 
one, one, one thing I like to do uh, when I uh, train teams for innovation um, is, is to insist on the mindset. And people very often underestimate the importance of trying to capture the current mindset. People want to go to innovation immediately uh, without trying to, as I say, you can't think out of the box if you don't understand what the box is. So I insist very often that people, uh, and this is very useful for people to, to know what they can stop doing, is to take stock of what are the current assumptions? What are the current beliefs that we collectively have about the customer, about the industry, about what we're doing, how we're creating value? You know, I use very simple tools to try to get people to understand what is the value that they think they're creating for the customer today. And they can very quickly, and then we have this, uh, this tool, which uh, came out of a, a Blue Ocean strategy, which I call ERIC. ERIC, you know, people always ask me, you know, how do you know that you have a good idea? I say, just ask ERIC. ERIC <laughs> means what, what should we eliminate that everybody takes for granted, what should we eliminate from what we're doing? What should we, should we reduce? What should we do more or less of than from the standard uh, the, that is currently uh, going on? And then, of course, people think that innovation is about uh, increasing, Eric, I, and creating. But innovation is very much about eliminating and reduction. And that goes for the innovation, but also it goes for people who are trying to innovate. So I'm, I'm, I really want to rebound on your notion that you cannot tell people just to, to, to innovate. It, it will drive, again, cynicism because people feel, oh, they're trying to squeeze even more from us. Uh, and, and I think people have to kind of, you know, starting from the top level, people uh, understand that innovation is important enough that you have to create this protected, legitimized space to do it and all of us. When you were saying about like the filtering of ideas or the stage gate, one of the things that often concerns me when I do that work myself with customers or clients is that what if they discard of an idea that's great, but just is not of its time. So I asked them to try and capture them somewhere that they can be revisited. And I found this beautiful notion in the ant kingdom. So in ants, they when they explore down certain holes or they explore certain parts of an environment, they leave a pheromone and the pheromone signals this has been explored already. And it reminded me very much of this idea that because say, for example, I'm working in Gore and my idea gets filtered out, but it's a good idea, but it's just not ready yet because the environment hasn't changed. Maybe it's pre-COVID times. And now all of a sudden it's, it's a very valuable idea. But oftentimes there's no resource to be able to go and find those ideas for the rest of the organization. What suggestions have you got there for people? Well, okay, I, I, I love this. Uh, we, we might have touched about it a little bit when we talked about um, uh, the three processes and, 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 and how can the front, uh, frontline innovators help with the integration process. 
And this is this is where where they can have a role. And and of course, you know, there could be some support from the organization because they generate ideas. They have networks, uh, social networks. They meet people. They, I mean, customers. They meet people in the cross cross uh, uh, functional teams. Uh, so they develop their own kind of social network as innovators. And but but what happens to those ideas? So I, I don't know if we'll 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 have time in 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 part nine or ten. I don't know maybe uh, to talk episode about episode twenty six. Uh, in uh, in uh, in chapter ten, I describe a seven step process, uh, innovating process methodology that uh, I've developed over the, the last fifteen years. So so I said earlier, there's 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 a there's a part where you systematically take stock of what is your mental model. What is your supply? I call it the supply side view. So you take stock with the tools that are available for that. But once you generate ideas, even before generating ideas, when you generate insights from the customers and the non-customers, even before it is a, a full-blown idea, you should start to codify that. I, I'm a very strong believer in codification. It's it's your pheromone, you know. You you need to leave some sort of a <laughs> a proof that uh, we've gone that path. We've 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 explored <laughs> this idea already with the customers. As uh, long so, as it's not a bad smell, Ben. As long as it's not <laughs> a bad smell. Yeah. Well, we we can come back to that. I think there's a, there's an interesting notion there. But 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 I think this is very important. And and of course there are tools. Um, um, I mean, for me, it's uh, it can be as simple, and this this is something I do, uh, like a quick and quick and dirty um, uh, way. Is every time teams uh, work on projects in companies, I ask them to build a, 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 a data bank, a database of the ideas they generated, uh, and it's very simple. You 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 like you know I said you can have a, a tagline for the idea identify who would be the customer for the idea and identify Eric. What would this idea eliminate, reduce? What would it increase or create? And then, and then keep that as a, as a, even as an Excel sheet. Uh, and, then, and then make sure that uh, uh, collectively people feed into this database. And then, uh, you know, uh, you could, I mean, we saw, we saw um, Gore have a, an AI system to match Customer needs with the products they have, but you could have uh, some 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 system just to search, just to search some sort of a Google search into your own internal database of what ideas were generated across the company. Um, so I think this is very important. Yes. Yeah, and it's a wonderful way. I, I when I was playing, uh, I when I played in my career as a professional player. I used to have a notebook that I used to take every every note in, but also I used to write ideas into it. And when I look back on it, like it's 20 odd years old and there's things in there like, for example, because of mobile phones, I was like going a charging station like a vending machine. And for another example was I called it the Lion King and it was a washing line that automatically retracted when it rained and under certain conditions. And they all were very ahead of their time and and nobody could see potential in them then but when i look back on them i kind of go i think they exist i certainly know the vending machine charging your phone exists but i think that that way like you sent out those people on the streets of paris that is people have the ideas they just don't have the framework to 
be able to sell their ideas, articulate them, or even mental models in which to place them or business models. So I think that's a huge value from your work. We, <laughs> we were again, we were over optimistic, Ben, we thought we'd get through Cordsa, uh, Bayer and Samsung as well, I really wanted to cover because of Triz and we'll get into that the next day. Is there anything you wanted to comment on before we close up today's episode? No, no, no. I, mean, I was just kind of listening to you and then realized that uh, we, we, we don't have any excuses now because, you know, you had your notebook. It must be very difficult to go back and have to check every page. You know, oh, I remember I had this idea, but where is it? Where is it? Is it the notebook number nine, number 20? But now you, you, you have technology that can help you do semantic search. Uh, uh, you can search by by keywords. You can search your database of. Uh, so I ask people to code not only to codify not only the ideas to have a databank of the ideas that they create, but also the comments that they get from the customers, which are kind of organized in a table. So you can search that table too. You can identify not only the idea, but which customer said what that led to that idea. So I can imagine that. With the, the kind of technologies we have today, if people could uh, maintain the discipline of codifying these, these, these um, I mean, and, and the tools exist. It's just, you know, inputting it in the tools and then, and then uh, let the tool speak. And then they could, they could realize that people have come up already with a solution in a different place of the organization. And I'm sure at some point we'll talk about the system that um, Bayer had developed called WeSolve, but uh, we'll, we'll come back to it another, <laughs> we'll cover that another the episode. We'll, we'll give everybody something to look forward to. Ben, it's been an absolute pleasure as always. So much in this book and our conversation reflects that I hope that there's so many moments of pause and reflection. But there's also the tools there, there's the mental models, the business models, there's an entire frameworks for how to think about all this. I highly recommend it, uh, this book. It's absolutely uh, valuable to any business leader. Author of Built to Innovate, Essential Practices to Wire Innovation into Your Company's DNA. Ben Bensow, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Aidan. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Looking forward to next time <laughs> already. And thank you, as always, to our partner, Zai. Zai is a global fintech innovating within its area of expertise, building integrated financial services for digital native and non-native businesses. Check them out at hellozai.com. And I'll see you next week.